And as you grab your seat, again, we want to welcome those watching online. And I'm going to ask that you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. We'll be taking a break from our John series. And so we're going to read Matthew chapter 24, verse 36 and on. And here's what the Word of God says. I'm reading out of the ESV. It says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would have not let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed and begins to beat the fellow servants and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know. And he will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In order to understand what we've just read, I want you to imagine with me briefly what your future will look like I don't know, let's say 100 years, 150 years. What will your future look like? Uh, maybe there'll be flying cars. I, I used to think that as a kid when I was small that by 2020 we'd have flying cars, but, but we're not there yet. I hear we're close, but we're not there yet. And maybe some of us think we might be able to vacation on Mars or that spaceships will be like the ones we see in Star Wars or the Avengers, or, or maybe our cell phones will be like, again, what you see in the movies where instead of talking to someone, you'll, you'll get a hologram picture of someone coming out. What will your future look like? Well, the reality is none of these answers are right. Because 100 years from now, 150 years from now, our future will be two destinations, heaven or hell. We'll either wake up in eternity with the Father, or we'll wake up in eternity without the Father. And in a sense, this is what Jesus is getting at in these passages. In fact, Matthew 24, verse 36, actually runs through chapter 25 at the end of chapter 25, and it has one idea in mind, and this is the question that I want you to think about. This is what Jesus is asking here. How do you wait for Jesus? How do I wait for Jesus? How do believers in the church wait for Jesus? And Jesus tells us this in verse 36. Look with me again at verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. So how do we wait for Jesus? 
Well, number one, you wait for Jesus, not trying to figure out when he will return. Do you see the, the point here? Jesus is clear. The angels don't know when that day will be. The Son in his incarnation also does not know. This theologically shows us that Jesus is truly man here on earth and he has uh, uh, his, his divinity is in, in some sense vague in, in, in this portion. He does not know when the Father will return. And, and, and so the emphasis is if the angels don't know and Jesus as, as the perfect earthly man doesn't know, then no one on earth can claim to have special revelation and say, I know when Jesus is coming back. Oh, I saw a vision. Or an angel came and spoke to me and told me the date and the hour of when Jesus returns. The point of verse 36 is you don't wait on Jesus trying to figure out when he will return. And yet, as Christians, that's what we tend to do. When we think about the last days, we love to debate. Are you a millennial? Are you premillennial? Are you postmillennial? We, we love to debate eschatology and we love to read last day passages like detectives. So here's what we do as, as, as Christians. We'll, we'll look at Revelation and then we'll turn on CNN. So, so we've got Revelation open and then CNN and we're trying to figure out as the famous meme goes, what chapter of Revelation are we in today. But this is the point that Jesus is making. When we wait for Jesus, we're not waiting trying to figure out when his return will be. So that's point number one. So how are we to wait for Jesus? Verses 37 and on give us the next point. Here's what it says. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Verse 40, then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. What is Jesus talking about in answering this question? How do you wait for Jesus? Well, immediately Jesus takes us back to a familiar story. All the, all the, all the disciples and Jews listening to him know the story of Noah. They know the story of the flood. In fact, there are non-Christians who have heard the story of the flood. It's a, it's a famous story. And yet we must be careful what Jesus is illustrating. Is he illustrating the judgment in this passage? No, there's no mention of judgment here. Is he highlighting the days of Noah to talk about the wickedness that existed in the hearts of men? Remember, God repented that he had made humanity and so he sent a flood. Well, no, that, that's not the parallel that Jesus is doing here. Why does he mention the days of Noah? Well, he tells us in, in, in verse 37, he says, in those days people were eating and they were drinking. And here it doesn't mean they were getting drunk. It just means they were having a meal. They were eating and drinking. And they were marrying and giving in marriage. Well, what's the point that Jesus is making here? That like the days of Noah, when he returns, people will be living life. Tra-da-la-la-la, Netflix, video games, sporting events. They will be living life as 
normal. They're 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 living their normal daily lives. They're doing e-learning, amen, moms and dads, with, with their kids and, and trying to get them to connect. So so they're living their daily life. This is the point that Jesus is making and illustrating the days of Noah. But like the days of Noah, they'll be surprised. Remember the story of the flood. It's not just the wickedness, but, but when Noah gives them the warning, what do the people say? Noah, you're crazy. Why are you building an ark? What, what, are, what are you doing? They did not think a flood was coming. And Jesus says, it'll be the same when the sun returns. People will be living life as normal as they can be, thinking that Jesus ain't never coming back. So again, I ask the question, how do you wait for Jesus? How do I wait for Jesus? How do we as those who claim to be believers in the church wait for Jesus? Now, to highlight this, Jesus illustrates the text, and then he gives us a modern-day example. There will be two men working in the field, and one will be taken and one left behind. And there will be two women grinding at the mill, and one will be taken and one left behind. And it's important here to understand a little bit of the context with the women at the mill. In these days, when women would grind at the mill, it would be one person in front of the other. So think of like the seesaw at the park. And so they're going up and down and they're grinding the mill. But I, but I say this to stress this point, that it was often close relations. In other words, you wouldn't be grinding at the mill with a stranger. It was either two sisters grinding at the mill. It was a mother and a daughter grinding at the mill or two close house slaves who lived in the home, and they were grinding at the mill. So, so they're grinding at the mill, and yet one will be taken and one left behind. What's the point? Again, they're not expecting Jesus to return. They're, they're living their daily lives. So here are some three things I want to highlight from this, three truths. As we wait for Jesus, number one, we continue to live our lives. In other words, We don't wait for Jesus in our doorsteps going, I'm not doing nothing today. No Netflix, no video games. I'm not going to go to work. I'm not doing anything because I'm the holy one waiting for Jesus. Well, that's not what we do. The, the, The passage is highlighting this clearly. We are to continue to live our daily lives. You don't stop living life as you wait for Jesus. You live life responsibly. You go to work because you've got bills to pay. This is uh, the example that I can give you from Scripture is 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, where people stopped working, and they became not spiritually waiting for Jesus, but Paul says they're busybodies in the church. They're, they're running around being busybodies. They had to become lazy all in the name of waiting for Jesus, and Paul exhorts them in 1 Thessalonians 3.10, and he says, whoever doesn't work doesn't eat. When we wait for Jesus, we continue leaving. You don't stop doing life. You wait for him as you do life. So that's truth number one. The second truth that I want you to see from this is that the evidence of salvation or the fruit that someone is a believer is not in the work that is done, but in the life that is lived. What do I mean by that? Well, think about the scenarios. There are two men working in the field. Well, it's not the work that's wrong. If it was the work that was wrong, then both would have been left behind. 
You, you see the point. There, there are two women. They're doing the same thing. They're, they're working at the mill. If, if, if it was the doing that was wrong, they both would have been left behind. So why is one taken and one left? Well, the answer is clear here. One's a believer and one's not. One actually believes Christ will return. The other one does not. And that leads me to the third truth in this section. Each individual person... That means I, me, myself, will give an account to the Lord for the life that we lived. Now, now, the reason why I highlighted how women worked at the mill and their close relation is for this reason. We are not saved by association. You and I are not saved because, well, I'm cool with the pastor, so I'm saved. Or my mom's a Christian, so I'm saved, or my grandparents were Christians, so, so I'm good to go, or I go to church all the time, so, so I must be in. No, this is the point here in illustrating the mill, that there could be a mother in heaven and a daughter in hell. Now, that scares us as parents, but it's the reality that Jesus is highlighting or vice versa. There could be a, a daughter in heaven and a mother in hell, or both could be in heaven. The point isn't literally Two people, one will be taken and one left. But what Jesus is highlighting is there are two types of people in this world. The believer who is waiting on Jesus truly believes that Jesus will return. And then the non-believer who thinks Jesus is a fairy tale. And you hear this all the time. Really, you believe that a guy is going to come on the clouds with angels or saints, depending on your reading of Revelation, and they're going to come and, 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 and wipe the world clean. Really, you believe that? That sounds like Aladdin on the magic carpet. This is the point of this section. Like the days of Noah, there will be people who thought the flood was a joke until it came. And, as the, and in the days of Jesus and when he returns, it's the same attitude. There will be people who think, this dude ain't never coming back. This is all a myth. This is all a lie until what? Until he returns. So again, I ask, how do you wait for Jesus? Now, verse 42 and on tells us, therefore, stay awake. The first imperative here, the first command Jesus gives, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this. If the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would have not let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also, another imperative here, another command, must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. To emphasize this point, Jesus tells another parable. Now think about this in our world. Many of you have security cameras and attempts to help uh, limit the theft that goes on in your house. And yet, even with technology, even with an app that gives you an alert, I, I, I find this in some ways funny in, in a weird way, but, but even with technology and security cameras, there's this thing called the Ring app, and daily I see videos of some dude stole my gardening stuff. Uh, Amazon package stolen. If you see this guy, even in our best of the abilities that we have in our culture, theft still occurs. People still break into houses and cars. And, and Jesus tells this parable that if the owner of the house knew at what time the thief was going to come, he'd be what? Ready. He'd be alert. 
He'd be awake. He'd be at the door waiting for the guy to come and steal the Amazon package. And he'd jump out and say, aha, I got you. Now, why does Jesus tell this parable again? It's to illustrate the same idea. That when Christ returns, there will be people who will be surprised because they don't think he's coming back. And in fact, that's the fourth truth in this section. When Christ returns, people will be surprised that he actually came. So again, I have to ask you, how do you wait for Jesus? How do I wait for Jesus? How do we wait for Jesus? And the, the, the passage here is clear in verse 42 and verse 45. We wait as those who are ready. In other words, we wait as those who truly believe he's coming back. We wait as those who truly expect that the Son is going to return. In other words, there are people who think he'll never come back. And there are people in this world who think he will come back. It is those who live their lives as if he's returning that will be taken with him. It is those who live their lives and think he's never coming back will be the ones that are left behind. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? So to reiterate, point one, we don't wait on Jesus trying to figure out his return. And point number two, how do we wait for Jesus we wait being ready and expectant of his return. To say it a different way, we wait as people who expect Jesus to come back, who believe that Jesus will return. Now let's keep reading. Not only does Jesus highlight this, but the parable continues. Jesus then tells another story. Look at verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on that day when he does not expect them and at an hour he does not know and will cut them in pieces and put them with the hypocrites in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth." So how do we wait for Jesus? It's not just these first two points that I've highlighted, but there's one more here. Now, if we read this carefully, this sounds a lot like the last section we just read. Two guys who are servants, who are surprised that the master comes back at an hour that they weren't expecting. It sounds very similar, but Jesus is emphasizing one other point, where the last section is talking about a distinction of groups of people, believers, non-believers, or those who actually believe Christ will return and those who don't. This section is not separating two types of people, but rather two attitudes in people. There's a big difference. 
In a sense, it's speaking here to those who think they are believers. And I'll get to that in a second. It's speaking to those who call themselves Christians. So the first group is found in verse 45 to 47. The master puts a, a servant over his house. It isn't the servant's house. It's the master's house. He, but, but the master puts them over to, to govern the house. And, and verses 45 through 47 highlight the servant. He's faithful and he's wise. He, he, he leads the, the master's house well. He's faithful. He's, he's, he's wise. He gives food to the employees at the, at the proper time. And because he's been faithful and wise, well, he has a reward. The master will give him more possessions when he returns. This reminds us of another parable Jesus tells in the Gospels, the parable of the talents. And again, like that parable, so this one, it's speaking to believers. To put it in ministry context, this is the Lord's house. How do we serve in it? Do we serve faithfully? Do we serve wisely? Those who lead worship, those who do other ministries, even elders and deacons enter in this category and, and, and preachers like myself, we, we enter in this category. How do we serve in the things that the Lord has entrusted us with? Are we tardy? Are we irresponsible? Do we serve half-heartedly? What, what will the Lord find in what He's given us in the day He returns? Well, there's one group with an attitude that's right. They serve faithfully, wisely, believers who understand what they've been entrusted with, the gifts and the talents that God has given them, and they use it for the glory of the Lord. Again, I ask the question, how do we wait for Jesus as servants in his house, as believers? Do we serve him faithfully? Do we serve him wisely? Do we serve him with integrity. But then there's another group in this section. Verse 48, there's a faithful and wise servant. Again, attitudes, character. It's a type of living, a type of lifestyle. And then a strong word here to contrast this faithful and wise servant. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect them, and in an hour he does not know, and he will cut them in pieces. That's vicious, but it literally means he will cut them in pieces. It's not allegorical. It's not metaphorical. Some people try to excuse language like this in the Bible. No, literally, think of a chef cutting a tomato and slicing it up. That's exactly what this word means here in the original. He will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So as people in the house, how do we wait for Jesus? This servant was wicked. Now, why is he wicked? Well, he says to himself, my master is what? Delayed. Translation to 2020. I'm on a journey with the Lord. 
You know, I'm, I'm on my Christian journey with, with God. Yeah, you know, we, we still swear. We still drink it up. We're still living in fornication. But the Lord knows I'm on a journey. I got plenty of time to, to get right with God. You, you see the, the heart there? My master's delayed. Why do people continue living in sin despite of the warning after warning after warning? Well, they think they've got time. How many believers talk like that? Oh, Jesus knows my heart. Nobody's perfect. Yeah, he knows our heart. And they're wicked. And we need to come to repentance in Christ. Honestly, think about the times that we're living in. Jesus, in the beginning of Matthew 24, talks about what the last days will be like. He talks about rumors of wars and famine and horrible plagues and earthquakes and, and even signs like, like the sun turning red. And, and he gives all these signs of the end of times. And think about our world. You as believers, a worldwide pandemic, chaos in our nation. Poverty all around the world. Tyrants everywhere. I mean, we could read Matthew 24, and again, I don't suggest you do this, but we could do that and look at our world and say, yeah, it's, it, you can see the parallels, and yet, how do believers live? Still doing the same sins. Not just doing them. It's not doing the sin that's the issue. It's the enjoyment of sin that's the issue. There's no repentance. Even in this time, there are people who have gotten colder and colder from God. You would think that in a nationwide pandemic, whether you believe it's real or not, but, 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 but in a nationwide pandemic, you would think that believers would be the first focused on Jesus waiting his return. And in fact, we do the opposite. We're more excited about sports coming back. And, 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 and entertainment coming back and movies being reopened. But we're not excited about the return of the son. What is the attitude of this servant? Why is he wicked? Jesus is taking forever. I got plenty of time. I used to be the youth pastor here, and now Carlos does it, and, and, and he'll know this as well as I do. Many teenagers talk like this. I got plenty of time to get ready with the Lord. When I'm 30, I'll get serious with God. And then you turn 30, and then it's when I'm 40, when I'm 50, when I'm on my deathbed. How many believers talk like that? Oh, I'll get serious with God on my deathbed. Then I'll say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins, and I'll be in heaven. And that's the point here. People think they can predict when Christ comes, and so when he does, they'll be surprised. The wicked servant in this chapter is wicked because he thinks the master is going to take forever to return. There is no sense of urgency in this believer's life or so-called believer's life. There is no sense of urgency in repenting and stop, and, and stop sinning, whether it be drunkenness or whatever, you name it. But, but, but that's the point. There's no sense of urgency. But it's not just that. Look at how they lead with the things that God has entrusted them. He's delayed, and so they do what? They beat their fellow servants. They rule viciously. Think of a boss at a company who constantly yells at their employees. No love in his speech, just belittlement, just making people feel bad, putting people down, making himself look better than others. And this is the emphasis here in this verse that 
this servant is wicked. He uses his title of authority, and this oftentimes can happen in the church. And again, this, this, in this category fall elders, deacons, and directors of ministries where we can treat people viciously based on the title that we have in the church. And there are people that do this all the time, but they don't just treat others viciously. He doesn't just beat the slaves The verse goes on to say, he eats and drinks with drunkards. He eats and drinks with drunkards. This is to contrast Jesus in Mark chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. If you remember in that passage, the Pharisees accused Jesus of eating, or sorry, of sitting with those who are sinners. And he has meals with them. They accuse him of sitting with them. But Jesus is never accused of actually doing what they do. But this wicked servant doesn't just mishandle the, the gift that he's been given or the call that he's been given or the, or the ministry that he's been given, but he eats and drinks with drunkards. What's, what's the point here? He continues in sin. Do you see? It's not just that he's serving unwisely, And unfaithfully is that he's practicing sin. And again, this is targeted to believers, to people in the church, to people who know about the things of the Lord. And I say that because the language is there. The servant that the master placed. Oftentimes in the gospel, these parables have a, uh, the servant parables are guided towards disciples and who are true disciples and who are not. And, and, and this servant is clearly not because he doesn't just mishandle what he's been given, what he's been entrusted, but he practices sin. He enjoys a sinful lifestyle. There is no sense, again, of urgency in repentance. And as adults, as youth in this room, again, I ask the question, how do you wait for Jesus? Now, there's a second truth here. It's not just that they're unwise. It's not just that they're practicing sin, but there's a, another truth. Like the first group, this group is also surprised that the master came back, but for different reasons. Verse 50, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect them, and in an hour he does not know, and he will cut them in pieces and put them with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why is the servant surprised? Well, it's not necessarily that he's surprised that the master came back, It's obvious at the beginning of the parable that he knows the master is coming back. It's not his house. It's not his slaves. It's not his property. The master has left them in charge of the household, but he knows that one day the master will come back. In fact, his sin is thinking the master is going to take long to come back, but he knows he's coming back. Believers in this room or, or, or churchgoers who at least believe that part of the Bible truly believe that Jesus is going to return. So what's the surprise? Well, the rest of the verse tells us. They're not surprised that he came back. Those who believe the Bible know that he'll return. They're surprised at the judgment. Me? Jesus? 
You're going to cut me up in pieces? Really? Uh, uh, me, 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 me. The, uh, I've been faithful my whole life. My attendance is perfect. You're going to cut me. This is why in Matthew, I believe it's, I forget the chapter, but in Matthew, Jesus says something very scary. It should scare all of us who are believers. In that day, there will be those who say, Lord, Lord. And what will Jesus' words be? I never knew you. See, they're not surprised that the master came back. They're surprised at the judgment he gave them. So how do you wait for Jesus? To summarize, we don't wait trying to figure out his return. We wait as believers expecting his return. But it's not just that. Because we know he's coming back, we wait faithfully, wisely, living lives in the church and outside of the church with integrity because we know he's coming back. Now to finalize, it's important to highlight this. You and I cannot wait for Jesus correctly in our own strength. We need the Savior to do this. We need the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And that's why if you're sitting here today and you're far, far from God, then my cry is, come home. Come back to the Father. Give your life to the Son and say, Jesus, I don't know how to do this, but, but, but I need you to help me do this. If you've never repented of your sins, repent of your sins and say, Christ, I need your help. This is the reality of our situation. We know he's coming back, but we also know that we cannot stay sanctified without the help of the Holy Spirit. And there are others, quite frankly, who have just been playing church. You're in the grind of church, but there's just no life change. And at some point, we need to look inward and say, Jesus, forgive me for playing church. Forgive me for loving sin and practicing it. And so my call to you this morning is not simply to wait on Jesus, but to wait on him daily by running to Christ daily. You and I cannot do this on our own. So I'll end with this, and then Pastor Ishmael will come up. Charles Wesley in his hymn, See He Comes, says this, See, he comes upon the clouds. Jesus Christ, our King, appears. All the saints bought by his blood will rise to meet him in the air. Earth and sea shall flee away. All creation waits and groans. For the Lord Redeemer comes to take his longing exiles home. Hallelujah, come, O Lord, on earth to reign. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we await the coming day. How do you wait for Jesus, friends? I hope it's expectantly, in holiness, in integrity, in those who know that he will return. We're going to end with the benediction this morning.